in the software world, I can't think of a case where anyone knows the right answer for even above an 80% threshold to maximize impact with customers to say definitively, build me exactly this in exactly this time frame, and this will be your guaranteed result. The Team of Teams model gives you that flexibility. Over $30 billion in engineering wisdom will be at your fingertips at Interact on April 7th. Join engineering leaders from Netflix, Slack, Stack Overflow, American Express, and more at Interact, a free virtual community-driven engineering leadership conference. One day, 20 speakers, all selected by the thousands of engineering leaders in the dev-interrupted community. If you are a developer, team lead, VP, or CTO looking to improve your team, this is the conference for you. Go to devinterrupted.com slash interact to register today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Dan Lines, and today I'm joined by Bob Ritchie, Vice President of Software at SAIC, which stands for Science Applications International Corporation. Awesome name. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, it's awesome to have you be on the show today. Let's start by giving our audience the opportunity to know you a little bit better. For our listeners who may be unaware, you know, what is SAIC? What do you do there? Awesome. Yeah, so SAIC is a a federal government, federal systems integrator. Um, And what that typically means is government contract work around engineering and science and research and development. Uh, and IT managed services to drive solutions for the federal government, whether it's Intel community, Department of Defense, uh, or federal civilian agencies. And, and what I do there, I have the privilege of leading the software organization within the company. So really focused in on how do we make SAC a software company that happens to deliver solutions for the federal government. Yeah, you've been there a while, like 15 years, right? Yeah, I had a, a long time stint, uh, uh, where I was part-time a consulting employee of SAC in 16, from 2016 to 19, where I was had the privilege of working for a really uh, kind of forward-leaning leader at uh, Capital One named Gil House. Uh, and then uh, when he moved to JP Morgan in 2019, I had the chance to come back and take over the, the software org uh, at SAC full-time, and it just seemed like the right time to come back. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the size of the org that you got under you? So my my direct line kind of team of teams model, we're, we're at a little over 200 folks. And then dotted line software within the whole companies, about 4,500 engineers. That's great. We're, de- we're going to dive into team of teams. We're going to talk more SAIC. I went to the website and I just have to say like the first two, I guess, you know, it's scroll. It's like a banner that scrolls, you know, left to right. Says some of the coolest things, creating the connected battle space. That sounds interesting. And then the next one is mitigating drone threats. So it sounds like you get to, that's like very, very yeah, interesting there's stuff. There's definitely some unique, and we'll call it exquisite yeah. problem sets, that, that's, especially in the Department of Defense and the Intel community that uh, you wouldn't necessarily run into elsewhere. And so yeah. it like gives a wide range of, uh, you know, not just building a web app or not just building yeah. a couple APIs type of thing. Yeah, pretty cool. Now, another thing about you, kind of like a more personal thing, I hear you played uh, college ball at uh, VTech. Is that true? So I have to put air quotes of playing. Yes, I, I, I was an unrecruited walk-on, but yeah, I got to play. I had the privilege of playing Division One basketball in the Big East and ACC because my time there kind of spanned both conferences, which was really cool from growing up in the D.C. metro area and, and with Georgetown and Maryland. And Duke and UNC, you know, always on TV to, to then get to play, thankfully, in the same conference that, you know, Coach K and Roy Williams and those guys were all still coaching when I played. So that was uh, a really cool experience. Yeah, I, I hear. I mean, that's a big time 
conference. And I know you're, you're saying, yeah, I walked on, but you made the team, even making the team as a walk on, like, you know, the talent and the recruiting is insane. So that's, that's really cool. So speaking of teams, it leads us well to like this teams of teams stuff. So I know you have a lot of opinions and how teams should function in the software delivery process. So let's talk about that a bit. What is a team of teams model and what is a leader model? Sure. So I'll work backwards. So I, especially in federal government contracting and just by nature of the way we say the Department of Defense is historical way of operating uh, in a command and control kind of leader top-down structure, a lot of historical federal system integrators model themselves in that same kind of pattern because zipper principle, you want to align your leaders to their leaders and, and be able to you know, speak the customer's language. Some of the, the challenges with that, though, it, it is it creates, and it's really a, more of a relic, I'll say, of the industrial revolution era of having this kind of cog in a machine mentality and then, you know, system of systems build up and everyone just knows their own role in the, in the machine of, you know, what's my job as a cog and the next layer up. And it creates a top heavy and top down kind of micro management ecosystem that it's, it's just not what resonates today with kind of uh, knowledge work and thought work that in art form like software development is uh, in, in today's day and age. And so Team of Teams model kind of presents a different concept to that same construct to instead of having this hierarchical, you know, command and control, uh, you know, top-down micromanagement, the leadership strategy pivots to creating a more of an environment where there's a shared vision and a shared mission and shared kind of principles and values that all the teams adhere to. And then the teams are granted a level of autonomy that then lets them define and, you know, discover their own purpose and where they fit in that vision. Uh, and oftentimes it then often provide invaluable feedback of how that vision needs to be altered based on what they're seeing, as opposed to kind of that historical, you know, I'm just being told thou shalt type of model. Yeah. Are, and are you saying the thou shalt type of model? Is that the leader model? Yeah. Is that a leader model a little different too? So, so I, I, at least the way I interpret leader model is, well, just because I'm a software guy, we'll say it's, it's the difference between the imperative and declarative state, right? Like, a top-down command and control requires imperative scripting all the way down to get exactly the outcome that you're looking for, where yeah. a team of teams model is more, here's the direction we're going, this is where we're headed, this is why we're headed there, most importantly, and uh, allows kind of the teams to self-organize around that mission, around that purpose, and deliver the outcomes that, uh, I guess, uh, what I've experienced a much more effective rate. Are you saying to yourself like every day, okay, like I got, I'm, we're a team of teams model and therefore I need to act a certain way as a leader. Do you like, do you have to remind yourself not to be a, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like Bill, Bill Belichick. It's like, do your job, just be a cog. Don't think right. it, just yeah. do what I tell you and we're going to win the Super Bowl. No, you can't think like that. So how do you yeah, go like, about your day to day? I'll say it's, it certainly takes practice. Um, and, and, you know, when I, I unfortunately had the benefit of, of seeing this model in action, like I mentioned under, under Gil House at really massive scale at a Fortune 100 company. So that it kind of yeah. seeded in my mind, okay, this is an effective model. It works. And, and so I'm already kind of biased, I'll say, towards that the model works. As far as having to, to cognitively think about it. Yes. Cause I mean, I'll say there, there's one other dimension of kind of the command and control structure that feels very natural and human. Right. Especially for type A people to feel like I need to be in control and I want to tell everyone yeah. exactly what to do. 
So it's, it's just one of those things that you just have to be aware of that kind of natural impulse to react to a situation uh, and just you know, take a beat, think about it, and, and really kind of drive every decision through that value lens of, is this what's best for the environment I'm creating for my teams? Am I being clear in the communication uh, with teams, which again, the team of teams model allows a lot flatter structure too, which then enables some of that uh, kind of cleaner communication. What do you do for a team leader that's not performing in a team of teams model? Well, that's, yeah. So at our current scale, I'll say that that, op, that situation hasn't arisen too often, but when it does, it, it, it's, it's really a, a, uh, a excellent second order effect benefit of the team of teams model is that the team self polices to some degree. So you're already, if, if something gets escalated, it's, it's only in the cases where the team hasn't been able to self-adjudicate. And the long-standing teams aspect also creates this natural, it's almost like clicks in school. Like it's, you know, humans are social animals, so they're naturally going to organize into these groups of people that they enjoy spending time with, that, you know, their quirks and their, you know, foibles, they, they all like and kind of balance each other out. Where one of those player coaches is starting to drift away from this, hey, I'm, I'm supposed to be a servant leader within my team and more you know, kind of thinking about, you know, what's my own kind of fiefdom to build out or, you know, now bridging into that command and control kind of mindset. The team is really that first line of defense to say, you just check them because it's, it's just like your friend, you know, if your friend's going sideways, you're like, Hey, this isn't who you are. Right. So that, that gives you at least one level of defense that doesn't require a lot of top down prescription or, or engagement. But then certainly when there's a, a circumstance where someone is just moving completely orthogonal to your values and principles of your team and of your ecosystem, you have to have those sort of kind of coaching opportunities to say, look, that's not who we are as a group. That's not who you are as a person. I know you do not be that way as a person. Uh, and let's revisit how you got there and really start to drive at the why of what's going on. And yeah. in certain circumstances, sure, it can lead to an action where maybe the team needs to self-elect a new leader. And I, I, I again, I'm a nerdy software guy, so everything to me, it's like a gossip protocol within, you know, this distributed system, the teams can elect their own leaders. The player coach themselves weren't appointed top down. It was the team all agreed that, you know, like a James English is the right leader for Silence of the Lambdas or, you know, a, a Brad Staten's the right leader for Team Vulcan. We also encourage all our teams to come up with really, you know, clever names and, and you know, kind of part helps. So they actually self-elect as oppo yeah. opposed to, so, okay, like, tell me how that works. So, you know, I'll give you like a scenario. You know, you you got to get projects done, bring a group of people together. This is what I would do as a leader that I think have all the skills needed to get that project done. And then they just say, okay, that we're voting on our leader. No. Well, so yeah. in the context of a given project, at least the way our model operates is we bring an already existing team to execute any projects that need to get done. The forming of the teams and the election of the leader is more yeah. on the opposite side of the spectrum from the growth model, right? So we're, when we're going out and looking of how do we grow our capacity of teams, we're looking for those long-standing groups of people that maybe have stopped, been stifled uh, at, at their other opportunities, other companies, other, you know, elsewhere in the market where they themselves show an aptitude to grow a team. And so we'll pull them in and then they can hire up and grow their own team. So that's one model for growth. But the self-elected leader aspect is, okay, th this person's forming that team. So naturally becomes a self-election. But we've also had cases where a longstanding team would say, like the player coach on that team says, hey, I, I'm feeling like my technical growth 
is taking a backseat to the, the servant leadership responsibilities of the, the player coach. He brings that to us and to his team and his team then self-elects, well, we totally hear you. You've served us well for two, five, 10 years. And now we're going to, you know, we're going to give this other, you know, great engineer an opportunity to lead the team. Um, and so that, that's, that's where, I mean, that self-election comes into play. It's not necessarily when forming around, you know, delivering an outcome. It's like the, you have to have the ultimate self-awareness to say, Hey, I, I, I want to grow. I want to be on the team, but I need to grow my skills in another area. I'm yep. going to help promote someone else. You got to be really kind of trust in yourself and the team. Absolutely. And, and for the most part, that's, that's where the team kind of takes on the form of a nuclear family structure, right? Like, so a family is going to care about that nuclear family and understand if someone says, Hey, look, I want to go to art school. I don't want to follow in your footsteps and become a lawyer, right? Like those sorts of things is something that a family that cares about each other will always be supportive of. And if you don't have that longstanding team model, you, you lose it. You, you, that's something in a command and control structure that could never happen because everything's going to be, well, you're my cog. Uh, you can't stop being like, oh, I don't want to do what you did, dad. I want to go to art school. Yeah, <laughs> we hear that story all, all the time. And the good families deal with that in a good way and bad dynamics like, no, you have to go eat what I am. That's like the yep. worst case scenario. Yep. Um, why do you think that there's so many leader models, which you were describing as kind of the opposite of the team of teams? Why do you think so many leader models out there? I think, I think a lot of it is more, we'll say remnants of what worked really well, from, we'll say from 1950s onward in the growth of a lot of the industries and markets that we're playing in today, uh, in that it was, it was very ordered and the, the problems weren't as, we'll say, complicated as maybe they are today. And so an assembly line type of model might have fit better. Um, you know, it, the, although the term software back to you is very in vogue. Uh, it's a, an uncomfortable term for me because I think of software as an art form. So putting a factory connotation on a big stuff, but the software industry, you know, if you look at seventies, eighties, nineties, it was more about cranking out continuous product and even just industry at large was who can crank stuff out as fast as possible. And the command and control structure naturally feels like, well, if I tell you exactly what I want, I'm going to get the most efficient result. The challenge is in the, how complicated and complex the world has become. No one actually knows what they need. They might be able to, to, to imperatively describe what I want. And that model is what, where the team of teams model is, is an existential imperative to, to jump to. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, if we know what we want, if we're on an assembly line, we're making the same shit every day. Yeah. Like I'm going to tell you how to do your job, how to be more efficient and we'll crank out more widgets for sure. But sometimes, especially now you're saying, and I, I can see this too with like my company, Linear B, and as we're growing, we're doubling in size and all of that. It's like, no, I need you to, I don't know the answer to the problem. I'm giving you a problem team. You know, we'll figure if I knew exactly what to do, I don't know, I'd just do it myself. Like no, your job is to go find, find solutions and implement it. Do both. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So yeah, I, I I can totally see that as well. You you mentioned something. You said like uh, you want everyone in your company to be at most four steps from the CEO. Why is that so important to you? So that that's why ideal state in any company, uh, especially ours, is it, because of the importance. In order for a team of teams model to thrive, there has to be that cohesion of vision and purpose, and and. As you add layers between, say, the, the individual contributors on a team 
to that CEO's vision, you start to dilute the messaging. Personalities naturally come into play and maybe you'll have a personality shift or pivot the messaging of what the CEO's vision actually is. And so those, at most four layers is really just a representative of, as you get beyond there, I've observed that it starts to break down that kind of a clear, crisp, where, what's my purpose? What is my team? What's the problem space? So when I say, here's a problem, go solve it. They have a, a frame of mind, in, you know, of what the vision of our company, what the business model of our company, what our organization is striving towards. It just really prevents that communication breakdown, which then in turn, the team of teams model is, is you could think of it as almost fragile in that sense that if you start to layer in too many like, command and control structures between the teams and the tippy top vision, the teams themselves start to, it's almost like you, you've, you've clipped the rose off a bush. Eventually the rose is going to die because it's too far removed from its sustenance. How do you think that kind of this team of teams model and then staying like closer to the CEO, which is really a translation for, you know, the vision or where are we, are we all rowing in the right direction? How do you think all this affects developers, software developers? Well, so I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, I can speak for everyone, but most of myself and most developers that are in my organization got into software because they like to build things, right? Like, you know, we all did Legos and, you know, connector sets and everything as children. So we got exposed to software. Some of us at very young ages and said, oh my gosh, I can build things without physical world constraints. Let me go build, let me go build. And then you start to say, well, the, are the things I'm building, is anyone finding them valuable or are they useful? And so the team of teams model lets them not only enjoy the, that passion of building and creating and you know, really the art and craft of software, but then see it connected to a bigger vision, something bigger than themselves, something bigger than their team. And so you get kind of the, the benefit of both having autonomy, but then also your purpose, you know, like I'm a big Daniel Pink uh, subscriber in terms of motivation. That helps you find, you know, that joy and happiness in, in your day-to-day life uh, because you're seeing it come to fruition. Who is the the person with motivation? Oh, Who Daniel Pink. Uh, he, he wrote a book called Drive uh, uh, back in the yeah. from yachts that uh, or early 2010s. It, it's a, a really wonderful set of case studies around motivation 3.0 and how autonomy, mastery, and, and purpose for thought workers and knowledge workers specifically, which I, I consider software engineering in that kind of bucket it's it's you know more than carrot and stick models of of kind of the command and control structure right yeah i highly remember the era everyone was talking about this book now yeah the, uh, the little the yeah. rs the anime <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yep. but we'll we'll include it and it's always good to call out what people are reading or you know what what you're getting motivated by last question in this in this area do you think for software teams team of teams is always better or do you think that there's an, I don't know, a maturity state or a situation where the leadership model is better? So I'll say when it comes to execution in a dynamic you know, landscape, team of teams is, is almost always better. I can't think of a model where when we're not 100% certain of exactly what we want uh, and what we need uh, to deliver an outcome, the team of teams model gives you that flexibility. And like you said, you're not, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm giving you a problem to solve go solve it using this, you know, here's the ecosystem environment and framework. Uh, there are situations where there is a discrete, like, so I wouldn't think maybe, um, maybe in medical right market that there, there is a prescriptive way to do this surgery. You know, let me, let me caucus as a team and, and you know, I'm going to operate on you, but I'm going to come up with what I, what my team thinks that, right. So there's certain fields like that in the software world. 
I can't think of a case where anyone knows the right answer for even a, above an 80% threshold to hit, to maximize impact with customers to say definitively, build me exactly this in exactly this time frame, And this will be your, you know, guaranteed result. If it, it can't happen, right? You can have a good result where you meet 80% of your market. But if you start out on that path, it's a really difficult you know, thing to do that you get that 80%, you get some success there to then pivot to ever reach that other 20%. Um, it would be a real challenge. Yeah, to- totally makes sense. Now, another thing that you're um, not shy about is investing in your teams. Yeah. You've said that leaders should be investing until it hurts in continual learning. You have to unpack that a bit. What does that mean to you? So the, the, the foundational responsibility I see, and this is just to, to plug some other folks, Simon Sinek and everything he does will start with why and leaders eat last and the infinite game. The foundational responsibility of leaders is to create an environment where your teams can thrive, right? Like he makes all these anecdotal quips about the, the CEO is, is responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the outcomes. They're not responsible for any outcomes themselves. They're responsible for creating that ecosystem. And so I, I think continual learning is such an important dimension, not only from the, you know, the, the three pillars of motivation 3.0, right? Mastery, having that opportunity in your day-to-day lives, right? We spend so much of our time at work you know, throughout the course of our life. If I don't have the opportunity at work to, to find some level of mastery in a craft or in multiple dimensions of my craft, I'm, I'm going to seek an opportunity where I can go get that, you get that done. And cogs don't necessarily, right? So this is, this is a real dichotomy. There's cogs don't need continual learning to do their job. They know exactly what they did yesterday and what they're expected to do tomorrow. And there is, there's certainly a place in the world for that type of work. I just don't see it as in software. And so specifically in software and we'll say cloud and, and cyber liability engineering and data science and data engineering, it's such a craft and art form that is continually refining and continually evolving. If you're not as a leader investing in those teams to stay as sharp as possible, you're doing a disservice to your teams. Uh, eventually your team skill sets are going to erode uh, or the, the actual folks who and you know, subscribe and really thrive in a team of teams model are going to go seek, you know, opportunities elsewhere that the learning is there. So what do you specifically invest in for developers in terms of training? I'm, I'm a huge proponent of access to content um, as a table stakes for any, you know, as a term of employment, as, as if you will. So access to I'll say, well, just shameless plugs, Linux Academy and A-Cloud Guru, which are now, so A-Cloud Guru, Acquired Linux Academy and now Plural Sites acquired A Cloud Guru, which are three of the premier kind of, you know, self-paced on-demand learning content platforms. Having unlimited access to that content for every team member across every team, whether solid line in my organization or in the company is, is like a foundational table stakes almost, right? You, you need to make that a part of employment, not something that someone has to come ask for. Uh, but really where the investment comes, especially in the federal systems integrator market, because so much of our business is time sold, right? That a government contracts to you, it's almost like a lawyer with billable hours. If you're not billing to your customer, you're offset, you're not generating revenue and so you're costing. And so that's where the investment happens is how do you carve out time for your folks to not only have access to that content, but actually immerse in it and, you know, go and, and take that training, do some on, on-hand labs, do some experimentation. But that's, again, where the team of team model really benefits because it doesn't mean 
Like, and if I'm a cog, I have to carve out 20% of your time. The whole machine stops while that cog is, is doing training. The team could then self-pace, like where maybe two members of the team are focused on training this week and two others next week. And, and maybe a month from now, then someone else needs to say, I'm going to take a, a boot camp for four weeks. The team can self-organize and the team gets itself to that billable metric. It creates a brand new model in the, in the federal system integrator space by which you can do continual learning without having this exorbitant kind of uh, overhead costs, which is really the secret sauce uh, that we're trying to bake in at, at SAC. Do you have any guidelines of how to carve out time? Because it, a lot, it's, I think that's one of the most difficult things is actually making the time available uh, yep. to learn and, and improve. Do you have any tips there? So I, I would say don't be shy in budgeting cycles to ask for what you want, right? So we say you're going through a, a quarterly or you know, an 18-month or 24-month forecasting of your budget and you're projecting growth of your teams, say, this is the amount of time I need to carve out. So this is the amount of overhead funding I need. Worst case scenario, you get pushback, right? And then, so say you get that pushback. Step two, now I've got that pushback. How do I get creative about creating that time? Which is probably more to your question. And that's where you work opportunities for that team to work on programs that would provide that same level of learning experience. So rather than go and say, I'm gonna do a boot camp and get AWS uh, developer certified, can I, as a team, get signed up and work on a project where I'm going to get exposed to the exact same learning, but I'm going to get more hands-on, less textbook. And then at the end of that, you know, working that customer engagement, you've had real-world experience that's equipped you to go get an AWS certification. So really tying that work they're doing as part of their career growth and, and treating the work opportunities as learning opportunities and, and helping the employees see that it's not only you're delivering value to your customer, but you're you know, expanding your growth in cloud and Kubernetes and full stack and React, et cetera. Uh, and so that's that's where we get creative with the Team of Teams model to invest in learning without necessarily having such a bottom line impact. What are the pushbacks? So I, I typically, you'd have to justify maybe to a CEO or sometimes a non, like a CFO, like a non-technical folks about why it's important to do training. Do you have any way that you, because it, Costs money or costs time and time is money. It's the same thing. Yep. Do you have any ways that you've positioned it to someone that you're trying to convince? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of qualitative things you can do, right? Like site studies and Harvard business review and things like that of investing in continual learning and the long term improving effects that it has on your consistent quality and the, the type of talent you're attracting and retaining. Uh, but quantitatively, there's actually a really cool company out there called Blue Optima that we've been we've working with the past year, which then it it scans and provides an analytic vantage point, uh, just looking at your source code repositories. And, and if you're using, you know, Jira or some other Agile SDLC tool, will actually create insights into how your teams are performing. So you can tie tangible results to say, by investing in this, so say I do a, a learning campaign where I want to focus I'm getting a bunch of people CKAD because Kubernetes is a big push. I can show quantitatively how that investment in training has resulted in more maintainable code, better solutions for our customers, that then differentiates us in the market to go win new business. So you create that business case for leadership to say, it's not just about investing in people, which I wish it, you know, altruistically, I wish it was just about investing in people. Like you said, at the end of the day, these are businesses. So how do you quantifiably tie that to a business case? You can show 
how this objective evidence led to these additional new contract awards. And so that, that helps justify kind of that perpetual motion machine. Yeah, we do. I mean, we're doing a lot of this at, at Linear B, engineering metrics, things that help every developer save time every day, get their work done faster. And here's what, what I've learned that I'll, I'll share with you and the audience. Usually if you're talking to a non-technical type person, the thing that they care about is delivering projects on time. Project delivery, that's the output that they can see from an engineering organization when they're not in the details. Features, bugs, happier customers. You, I mean, they, you can, they can even understand, okay, production is more stable. I can get that. And, you know, features are being delivered. And there's a lot of metrics out there that we talk about on the show. Predictability. Are you doing what you say you're going to do from a delivery standpoint? Cycle time, bugs found in production. We can get all the way down to how long are our PR cycles taken, making them faster. And I have found that you can use this type of data to then do two things. One, you can justify, okay? But two, it's really about gaining trust because you can say, here, I'm going to visually, okay, I'm asking for a bunch of training. It costs money and time, but I'm going to be accountable. We're going to meet every week. I'm going to talk to you about our project predictability. I'm going to talk to you about our engineering health metrics, how this is impacting it. That's where I've seen buy-in come from. Yep. Um, so just a little tip for the audience of what has worked for me. Are you ever afraid of investing in people and having them leave? Does it matter to you if you make like kind of this large investment and oh, people are going to like leave or something like that? Not really. So. It's, it's kind of a cool, and it, 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 I hate to say that everything is so foundationally rooted in the team team's model. The teams, when I say there's a longstanding team, most teams that I've ever experienced in my career stick together, whether people leave the company or not. And uh, like, so I'll give an example. When I left uh, SAC full-time to go part-time and work in Capital One, I still was a very daily active member of my former team's, you know, their own private Slack workspace. Uh, called a happy place, right? Like that, Hey, we want to get in there and, and we want to still collaborate and talk about ideas. And so I, and the team team model, whether they leave the company and then it, it, they still stay connected to that team. And what I've seen, at least in our marketplace with the federal government, there is such a demand and a need for growing these high performing continual learning teams that for the federal government to meet its objectives and especially in the DOD and IC, I see this. We need to create a broader defense industrial base that it adopts this model. So I still feel like SAC has done its part. If we've trained up a bunch of really great engineers and they've got these great new opportunities outside of the company, they'll take that model and evangelize it wherever they go. Now we're, we're still fulfilling and tied to our purpose as a company, which is to deliver exquisite solutions that, you know, power the federal government forward. So I don't have too much risk of fear of that. And then I'll say, because of the team of teams model and that connective tissue, we get a lot of boomerangs like myself, but when new opportunities come up, they're still, you know, I'm still connected to my team. I'll come right back because I stayed in contact. I'll pick up right where I left off. We already share a common set of principles and values. It makes it really easy to come back. So that's how I at least communicate that, you know, to my leadership that there's no risk in training someone and leaving. It, it betters everyone. You know what I've been thinking about a lot lately? Hiring is so difficult right now. Everybody's talking about it, right? That's like a global thi thing that's happening. And so what that means is 
sometimes or maybe a lot of the time you cannot find the perfect person for the position right now. But what I've been thinking about is maybe I can find the perfect person plus some training, plus their ability to improve. They'll be the perfect person in six months yep. or a year or a quarter. So I've been starting to think a little, little bit differently, see if this resonates. Let me kind of like measure like how I evaluate the team is around ability to improve as opposed to like, can you take the learning and do something with it as opposed to where you are right now? Do you ever think about that with your team? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll even expand upon like maybe instead of finding the perfect person, I can find someone who with the right training and the right environment could become the perfect person. And yeah, that with the team model that maybe it's not the perfect person, but it's a perfect fit on this team because of personalities and principles and values that, you know, even if they don't even become that perfect person that I was looking for, they're still going to be a valuable contributor to that team. Uh, so there's the Gary Vernichek says what the uh, hire fast, uh, fire faster, promote fastest. And I'm not a huge advocate of the, the latter two, but definitely the team model open widens the aperture to find the right fit for a team as opposed to looking for the right fit on this particular project or this particular role. And like I said, then the equation ends up being your team has this growth mindset. All your teams have this growth mindset. They're continually sourcing and growing good fits for their team in context of knowing that shared vision of the CEO because they're so they're not so far removed. They can keep growing. And then when the opportunity pops up, it comes into a Kanban board and we say, hey, teams, who's got somebody or who, which team has a, a couple of T-shaped skills that would fit this unicorn that's being asked for. And maybe instead of one body, we have three people that charge down to the equivalent of a full-time engineer because there's not one unicorn that's got five years Kubernetes, 10 years AWS, TSSCI clearance, right? Like, right. like maybe on the team, there's a TSSCI cleared, you know, systems, software systems engineer, someone, you know, an AWS SRE expert and a CKAD who's, you know, got a lot of hands-on experience with Kubernetes. The team can can fill that role of a unicorn a lot better than an individual can. Since we have a little sports theme going in this particular pod, what I see great sports organizations do is, and you know, in, in sports, there's a draft. So you're like usually drafting, let's say college players or, you know, someone from the, the minor leagues. You only get one first round pick and that's where you can find someone usually with all these talents, but that's not all the talents that you need. Like you were saying, they have all three of them. They know everything. But most of your picks are people that do not have everything at once. So the organizations that I see are doing really well is they're finding people that have the ability to improve the fastest. So they have a growth mindset. They can take training. They can be twice as good next year as they were the year before. So that's just one thing for everyone to think about when hiring is really tough. You know, look look for up and comers that can improve. That's actually probably the most important thing. One of our last topics here, so a lot of like our guests that come on the show, they have a background in startups. In some aspects you do too. So if I said that the work you do for the government was kind of like building a startup for 350 million people, how would you respond to that? Yeah. So it's, it's the, the model that I think we need for the federal government to succeed and to start being uh, as agile and nimble as the the current challenges that face government and us as citizens uh, and you know kind of consumers of the government's product, for lack of a better term, demand and require, is to have that kind of nimble startup mindset 
where I see a, a, our organization within SAC and SAC and, and you know, others like us that are starting to embrace this mentality, there's been a historical challenge of connecting commercial results out of Silicon Valley with the federal government, because just by nature of, you know, we'll say the laws and regulations of the way the federal government does its budgeting and funding, 18 month funding cycles don't really jive with, you know, a series A funding you know, raise and in Silicon Valley, you're like, well, I'll get money 18 months from now. I promise. Right. Like, and so there's always been this really challenging disconnect and there's been a lot of cool effort in the federal government to engage better with Silicon Valley. But I think a, a more pragmatic bridge to close that gap is for the federal system integrators who have always supported federal government to start behaving and shaping more like a startup would, you know, to, to the team of teams model being directly tied to a mission and purpose, being able to pivot and, and persevere or pivot and, and, and try a new business model if something's not working. So that that's where I see kind of my responsibility within SAC and, and my, the part I play in helping the federal government act and feel more like a startup is really pushing federal system integrators to look and feel more like a software startup. I may have an outdated view on this, so hopefully I don't say something wrong. But usually when I think about the government, federal government, it's like I think of that their style being outdated or slow or like not where the, I don't know, like the coolest, newest practices are are happening. Do you agree or disagree with that? So I'd say, especially in the last, we'll say five to 10 years and really pockets of Department of Homeland Security and then really broadly across the DOD and IC, I've seen them really embrace and, and, and adopt a more of a product mindset, which is starting to challenge and upset the status quo, even at the, the top levels. So you have uh, folks like Paul Puckett at the at ECMA for the U.S. Army, uh, Jay Bonsey and Lauren Nossenberger at U.S. Air Force, who are really pushing, you know, changes and updates in policy to nice. start to enable that on their side. There are certainly, cool. you know, Muscle movements we can do on our side to help enable that and accelerate yeah. that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of that change does have to originate uh, from the government itself. It, but then I guess like on the flip side, what I'm saying, and it, I, I know it, like I read some things from your website, some of the most interesting projects I think are happening in the government at the same time. Like this is like super interesting stuff. I, I don't even know what it fully means, but coordinating all these planes or battle tactics in real time and whatever, that's like, so the project spaces seems like really cool to me. Yeah. And, and the, the, the kind of uh, technology exposure there and the opportunity, and it, again, it, it's a, a natural kind of uh, draw from a, a opportunity and engagement for folks who are really trying to be on the cutting edge from a technology standpoint, especially IT and OT convergence. So where where does software meet wearables, meet data connectivity in austere locations? Like how do you handle those? Like IoT, you know, having a smart thermostat is one thing. If I'm going to try and do internet or battlefield things, how am I going to equip a soldier or how am I going to, you know, clandestine way, right? Because we can't turn them all into homing beacons for for enemy threats. But there, there's a lot of taking commercial problems, transposing that over the, the historical battle space that say the DOD or the IC or the, the federal government and reimagining, getting back to first principles of design thinking. So you, you're, you're spot on. A, a lot of it might seem like it, it is a very historically jargon driven world uh, in the federal government, but the technology and landscape, the best analogy to give is the financial and fintech world, right? The, 
the types of technologies that are pushing fintech forward is exactly what the federal government is investing in. And because it's this, it's the same problem with the added layer of having to do it afloat or in space or, uh, you know, in a mountain range somewhere in, uh, in Asia. Yeah. A lot of innovation going on in that space. So we're coming kind of towards the end here. What's the most interesting, I guess, project that you're working on at SAIC that you could talk about? What is the cool stuff you're doing? Well, so the work we're doing, I guess, with the Air Force and Department of Defense in the cloud and DevSecOps space, I have the privilege of being the community practice leader for Air Force Cloud One program, which is, you know, given my kind of values and principles on continual learning and really growing and democratizing knowledge across the entire defense industrial base. It's been an incredible privilege to be a part of the Cloud One program because we engage with hundreds of vendors, larges and smalls in this defense space that are all trying to solve a wide variety. Some are mission systems, some are business systems, some are trying to you know do research and development on new, like some of the new kind of exquisite problem sets of downrange and, uh, you know, more, I guess, What's the best way I could put it? Multi-layered security, multi-level security of data interoperability. So the ability to not only function better as a business, you know, the military being still, right? Military has HR, military has budgets and finance. They have all those same business systems they need to maintain. So there's that aspect. But the difference is those dimensions, HR, training and learning and finance directly impact our ability to defend and prevent and fight war if necessary. And so it's it's kind of an, an exquisite problem set, and it's just a really cool space to be in right now, uh, given some of the thought leaders in DoD. Awesome. Thanks for sharing a bit about what's going on. Last question. This is like more, more of a fun question. Would you rather be a teacher or an entertainer? Uh, so, so for me, that's a kind of an easy answer. My mom's a teacher after, after Marine Corps. My wife's a teacher. Uh, I always tell people I would be a teacher if it paid better. I know that sounds like a shallow response, but where yeah. I find real joy is learning a bunch of new things and then teaching people a bunch of new things. And so that's where I kind of am drawn to that team of teams model still is the opportunity to continually learn myself, share my learnings with my teams. They do the same. They share their learnings with me. And so, yeah, a, a teacher, hands down, it, my dream job would be to, a teacher. If I ever uh, can overcome my my own personal woes and, and mismanagement of my own personal finances and get to an independent wealth point, then uh, I will definitely retire and become a teacher. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say that you don't want to be a, a teacher after listening to this pod. As we've been talking about, you can kind of level up so many people. You can be a teacher both, you know, in the traditional education aspect, but also for your team, make everybody better. So I'd have to say, as of right now, I'd want to be a teacher. I'm too, too introverted to be an entertainer. Let's Let's go help everybody improve. Um, Bob, I know that you are doing some hiring. If people that are listening want to check out a job opportunity to work for you or work on one of your team of teams, how, how can they do that? Yeah, definitely. So if you check out the career and job opportunities at SAAC.com, anything that you know, strikes your fancy there, uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I, I pretty uh, actively check in on LinkedIn or, or uh, you know, if there's a Slack group that you want to invite me to on LinkedIn, I also like, you know collaborate in a lot of different Slack workspaces uh, just to try and stay uh, in touch with the community. So love to to connect any any and all avenues there. But yeah, it, we, we are constantly looking to grow our team model. I can guarantee you 
If it's not Silence of the Lambdas or Insane Cloud Posse, there's a team we have here for you that's the right fit. Yeah, cool. So yeah, check out Bob Ritchie on LinkedIn. We'll post the links in the career pages and the, and all of that. Also, a quick reminder for our listeners, if you haven't already rated and reviewed the show on your podcasting app of choice, particularly Apple Podcasts, please do so. Reviews are a crucial way that our show gets discovered. Also, be sure to join the Dev Interrupted Discord community. That's where we keep this type of conversation going all week long. And also our first look at the Interact 2.0 conference on April 7th, 2022. Again, we have all the links in the description below and catch you all next week. And Bob, thank you again for coming on. Thanks so much, Dave. Take care.